You're listening to Artsman here live on Sin Nation with Sylvie and Ben. And we're joined right now by uh, two members of the 24-hour play project, uh, which is happening at the Emerging Writers Festival uh, upcoming this month. It's called Tipping Points, and the producer and director, uh, Kristen Taylor and Olivia Satchel, respectively, are joining us in the studio here. Hello. 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 How are you doing? Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. How are you? I'm good. I imagine this sort of level of, of calmness is not the level of calmness you're going to be experiencing during a, a 24-hour play. Yeah, look. No, definitely not. I don't think much sleep is going to be happening during that period of time. <laughs> well, I guess that's kind of the principle it of is the, the program. Point. It is yeah, the point. yeah. Yes. Can you break down what the sort of process is going to be like? Mm. Uh, so it starts off with a meeting on the 21st of June um, at around 6pm where we meet with the writers and we give them the parameters for their writing. Um, so there's five writers, they each have roughly 20 minutes worth of material to write in about 12 hours. So then they have until roughly 9am the following morning, mm -hmm. at which point the scripts are collated and presented to the actors. We do a read through, the writers get a chance to edit, make a redraft and then we spend the rest of the afternoon rehearsing it for a performance that night. Wow. Wow. It's rather intense. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. How did everyone get involved? So whose idea was it? How did it start? Um, it was mine. So I wrote a show for Melbourne Fringe Festival last year, which won one Best Emerging Writer. And as part of that award, Emerging Writers Festival gives you a slot at the festival the following year. So they approached me and said, what were you interested in? And this is something I'd seen done by a few different people in a few different contexts. And I thought it was really, really interesting. Hmm. And it also gives an opportunity to broaden the conversation um, around climate change, because that's what the project is centering around. It gives the opportunity for a lot more voices to be involved in that conversation. Hmm. Hmm. And Olivia, how are, how are you sort of preparing for directing this in such a kind of pressurised environment? I think realizing that I'm going to have to try and be the calmest person in the room. Because <laughs> um, it won't be me. Yeah, probably won't be Christian. Um, so the show that Christian produced for Melbourne Fringe last year, I was dramaturg, which is kind of like the, ed the editor of the script. Mm -hmm. And so we worked quite closely together in that. And so I guess it felt like a kind of a natural next step to work on this together. And up until this point... I guess I've served a similar role of being a sounding board for how we'll run the event and also dramaturgically in terms of how working with five very different writers mm. will be able to make that a cohesive performance. But I think in terms of the actual rehearsal time, I think it's just going to be a bit hot and loose, mm. um, <laughs> which is probably best really considering the material. Mm. Ha. Uh, yes. Mm, Speaking yes. of which, uh, it's uh, about climate change and the yeah. way the world is dying. Um, it sure is. <laughs> uh, can you talk us a bit about you know how you're planning to incorporate that into sort of the production and the the direction of the play? Yeah, sure. I wonder if it's worth talking about. How can you sleep at night? Yeah, mm. yeah. Because this project does spring off the show I wrote last year, which mm -hmm. was called How Can You Sleep at Night, mm -hmm. which approached climate change from an emotional point of view mm. rather than looking at the data and the facts and the figures because they're very confronting and overwhelming yep. mm. and I think our tendency is to uh, step back from that because mm. it's too hard to understand or it is too uncomfortable yep. so trying to make it relatable to people and their everyday experience so this is the next step in that so part of the one of the project aims is 
for the writers not to look at these catastrophized futures that we get all the time in Hollywood. It's not about imagining us all living on like floating cities because <laughs> the city of Melbourne has gone underwater or anything like that. It's about looking at how climate change is going to affect our everyday lives and our relationships and our psychological health and all that, or those kinds of things. Because I think they are more relatable and therefore perhaps could give you a greater sense of urgency mm. um, than a lot of climate change narratives that are currently being pushed. Yeah. And also it would be probably easier to understand because I know there are people out there who don't quite understand it still mm. and it would be a lot more relatable, like you said, to be able to watch it in a play like this mm. and be able to think, oh my gosh, is this actually happening? Like, would this be happening if I don't help? Yeah. And I think a good example of that in terms of how you arrived at that conclusion in terms of how the audience will be able to engage is when we were working on this show last year, there were quite a few drafts that Christian went through. 20. That, mm, 20 drafts. That I think, but I think a few of them could best be described as research drafts. So mm. there was a lot of information in there that was quite alienating because it was so compact with data. Mm. And together we reached this point where we actually realised it was more useful to use the parallel of a friend's death as a way to access the narrative of our collective grief over the planet dying. Mm. Mm. And so I think there's an echo of that in this project in terms of getting people to consider the immediate emotional impact of the direction that the world is heading in. Yeah. That being said, um, Olivia, as director, would it be more important to prioritise actors learning their lines and getting the message of the writers exactly as it is or is it more so that you want the feeling and the tone to be more prominent and it might not matter if they stuff up their lines well I think an advantage that we have is that we'll be working with scripts in hand um, mm. okay. so the performance itself they will still have their scripts with okay. them and that's because we I think uh, this is particularly my preference in the work that I do it's much more important to wrestle with the ideas than mm. worry about production values yep. and particularly in a scenario like this where they're going to have roughly eight hours with the, with the text mm. I think it's better that we make the choice from the outset that they don't have to memorise their lines mm. yep. and it's actually about everyone getting onto the same page about how it will be presented and yep. what the framework for the performance is mm. and okay. so you've essentially you've done a show called How, how Can You Sleep at Night and then you know, the thought the next step of doing that is is making that metaphor literal and and not sleeping at night. That is exactly right. Exactly <laughs> true. This is yeah, true. Yeah, we didn't think of that. Ah, uh, no. But you're exactly right. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. That's the, yeah, yeah, it's a pretty obvious connection. <laughs> I didn't make that. Uh, How can you sleep at night by doing a 24-hour play generator and Answer, passing out you the can't. end of it? Yeah. Until, yeah. I, I suppose the next step will then getting audiences to pay for the experience of not sleeping not at night sleeping. Mm, as well yeah. and just mm. being involved in a 24-hour audience. Mm. Smart. That's good. There you go. It yeah. could be a trilogy. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it next year. I need, I need royalties. <laughs> okay, that's fair enough. Yeah. Co-creator. Yes, wonderful. Mm -hmm. So you're presenting this uh, as part of the Emerging Writers Festival. Yeah. Uh, is that an exciting festival to be a part of? It's an amazing festival to be a part of. I think the work that Izzy Roberts-Orr is doing this year is pretty breathtaking. Because it's her first year running the festival. It yeah. is. I think Izzy is a really great example of someone who always strives towards best practice 
and actually putting that into place in real time in this already established festival is really exciting to watch happen and so it feels really great to be able to participate in the festival and kind of even in this small way mm. in one event but it yeah it really feels like there are some pretty significant things happening with it so it's really nice mm. to be a part of it and they're also so much they're not just about their audience they're about the artists yeah. that are involved and developing their work mm. So it's almost as an artist being engaged with the festival, you feel like it's almost like a giant professional development workshop. Mm. Like they are always so on it with, hey, is there anything we can do to help? Mm. Like, you know, there's a workshop that you might be interested in. So they are constantly about... They establish these connections for you. Yeah, yeah. and they like facilitate you like every step of the way, mm. which is amazing and Pretty also unusual. unheard of yeah. almost. So, yeah, it's really, really exciting to be involved in. Mm. Involved in. Nice. Is it important that a particular audience sees this play? Is there an audience you have in mind that needs to see something like this? Besides Donald Trump. Besides Donald Trump. Let's not go there. <laughs> um, I actually think that would be really amazing if it was... It would it'd be pretty great. I think, I think because we are trying something a little bit different and going down the emotional route rather than the rational with it, I don't know, but I would like to think that maybe it could affect people in a way that is different to all the data and the fear-mongering. They're always... That, like, a lot of people feel like, oh, climate change is, you know, it's something to be scared of, mm. and so they it's don't complex. engage with the mm. conversation, mm. and they feel like it's all about fear-mongering. So, yeah. I don't know, maybe by doing it this way, people's minds could be opened a little bit to yeah. understand the more intimate consequences. Mm. Yeah. I read this morning that koalas are becoming more and more at risk because of the rising sea levels and that mm. we could like possibly lose koalas, which is just mm. the that thought of that. Mm. Like our strained little bears. Oh <laughs> strained little bears. <laughs> but I think I think it is an important question, you know, because I think between Christian and myself there's really interesting difference in terms of how we engage with climate change. Like, before I started working on this show last year with him, I'd never... Of course, I'd always believed in climate change, but I'd never mm. lost sleep over it, mm. um, as opposed to Christian, whose play was about the environment and insomnia. Mm. Um, and it's actually through working on this project that it's made me realise that I actually have as potent a connection with climate change but I associate it on a much more intimate level so I associate it with the loss of a family member and you know whereas Christian has this kind of incredible encyclopedic grasp on what's actually happening to the world and mm. I don't have any of that information I think it will be a really great challenge for us to be able to address that spectrum yeah it's essentially um essentially science communication isn't it making yeah, it mm, difficult absolutely. and simple totally. yeah yep if you broadened it out and went on to do other 24-hour plays are there other subjects and topics you'd like to cover so many oh <laughs> gosh so many great question <laughs> you first um i'd actually be really interested um this has nothing to do with climate change but i've always been really interested and i'd love to be able to explore it in that kind of hothouse environment of the lies that we, we told as kids mm. and kind of the grandeur of childhood and how... And I guess, interestingly, thinking about it in relation to this subject of how everything's do or die, like it's mm. these kind of life or death scenarios, even though it's like a friendship in the playground. Mm. Yeah. But, yeah, I've always been fascinated by the scale of imagination in childhood. Yeah. And I'd love to be able to see what would happen if you put writers under those conditions mm. of what stories they would be willing to share. 
either about their own lives or people in their networks that they've heard of. Mm. Yeah, so that would, that's the first thing that comes to mind for me. Nice. I really love just like the concept of myth and myth making. Mm. I think that's oh, really cool. interesting. Mm. And the stories that get passed down throughout history that kind of structure the way we live our lives, even mm. though we don't really acknowledge them. And you see a lot of them in terms of like like religion, economics, politics. Mm. Like there are stories we tell ourselves throughout those structures and mm. those frameworks, but we don't realize they're structured on stories. Yeah. So and then how that translates to young people and growing up and realizing that maybe they're not the hero of their own story and yeah, that kind yeah. of thing. Mm. It's very interesting. It's one of the transitions into adulthood, I think, is when you realize that you're not in the center of your own hero's journey mm. film um, or young adult novel mm. yeah. and you realise that everyone else is just as angsty as you and yeah. everyone else has their own problems and there's um, nothing actually particularly individual about you and there's nothing yeah. particularly individual about it's you devastating. but we all want that kind of we all want to be some kind of hero or legend Yeah, yeah. I think I find that really interesting mm. I think there's particularly something there in terms of the different scales on which we mythologise mm. you know, obviously history is mm. probably at the larger end of the scale but there's also myths within each of our families Mm-hmm. You know, about how something, how some either behavioural tick or, you know, family custom came to be. And it also kind of boils down to how we narrate our own lives. Yep. Like, I remember reading this critic a couple of years ago when I was writing my English honours thesis, and she wrote about the fact that we, through the process of narrating our own lives, that process is inherently fictional because when we tell our own story of, I was born on such and such a date in such and such a place. We weren't actually conscious of that moment. Mm. Mm. And so that narrative has a fictional seed. And I think that's that's such an interesting foundation for our need to tell our own stories. Yeah, And for storytelling in general. I'm so sorry to cut you guys off. I yeah. wish we could talk to you all day. Like, That's right. I'm, we're so interested in this. Like, it's yeah. so admirable to listen to what you guys are doing. It's like performing art in its truest form, like to have a mirror to what the world is doing today and mm. so people can see what's happening in their world and happening in themselves. So thank you no, thank so much you. for bringing that. Thank you for bringing that.